is the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again and welcome to the show. Coming up, the latest on the Ducks Creek Pilliger fire. It's now nearly doubled in size since yesterday. We get a bit more local information about damage and stock issues and also some evacuation orders as well. And we hear that uh, as the drought conditions continue to bite in many areas of the state, Aussie hay runners have been very busy. We've done 15 runs all over New South Wales this year. We've had 520 trucks running up and down the, the highway. In that, we travelled 1.23 million kilometres. And we'll hear more about uh, what they've been doing in terms of hay runners around the state. They've been, as I said, very, very busy and uh, lots of uh, miles, lots of diesel burned up to uh, send the hay out to those drought-affected areas. More on that shortly. But first up today, the that large out-of-control bushfire that we've been talking about in northwest New South Wales, it remains at emergency warning level. Uh, after it generated the thunderstorm, its own thunderstorm last night, uh, causing dangerous and erratic fire behaviour, it's uh, the Pilliga Forest fire in the called the Duck Creek fire is now about 17 kilometres south of Narrabri and 21 kilometres west of Bogabri, and uh, it's burnt through about 111,000 hectares. Heath Stimson is the Rural Fire Service Chief Superintendent based in Narrabri at the moment. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. So, uh, obviously, uh, you know, concern about this fire has moved back up to emergency warning level, and I gather overnight uh, one of the concerns was really about embers being being blown a long way away. Yeah, as you said, with the the fire at the size that it is, sitting well over 100,000 hectares and growing at the moment, within that Pilliga forest, we are seeing uh, a lot of smoke drift, uh, a lot of embers, uh, a lot of ash carrying a long way from those areas. Uh, the uh, the fire still is currently at uh, emergency warning status, with particular uh, focus uh, and uh, and concern around the bar farm bar, Willala, Gulai, Rocky Glen, and Stanix Park areas. Where we're asking residents to uh, shelter now as the fire approaches, and uh, and we've also uh, got concerns around the Bohemia Creek, Jacks Creek, and Wynella areas. Where we're asking people to monitor conditions. Still very dynamic fire behaviour as we head into the afternoon, uh, with uh, with a lot of work still to be done. Yeah, so just to just to reiterate that uh, people being warned uh, that uh, it's too late to leave. Generally, in most cases, from those from those uh, those three uh, those uh, three little towns that you mentioned there, and they're saying that people should seek shelter and shouldn't be caught in the open in the path of the fire. Yeah, that's correct. So we're seeing erratic fire conditions within the the Pilliga forest. Uh, as the fire's coming out of that uh, forest into open grasslands and properties, uh, we are taking advantage of, uh, of, of those conditions where we can to uh, catch the fire as it comes out. However, there's still uh, there's still many parts of unburned areas which are of concern outside the forest. So uh, the, the people with the emergency warning in and around those areas I've mentioned really do need to heed that advice. If people do find themselves displaced uh, from their homes and... Um, and away. We do have evacuation centres open at the moment. We have three uh, at uh, Narrabri, Gunnedah and Coonabarabran where people can register uh, if, uh, if need be. 
Also, the other thing is, um, we obviously, we haven't heard of any uh, property losses at the moment, but it uh, sounds like it's bearing down on a few communities. And uh, also um, some farmland there as well. Livestock, is there uh, anywhere people can take their livestock or what have we, what have we been he- hearing in regards to that? So we're working closely with local farmers, landowners and land managers to, to work through their individual needs and, and wants, particularly around livestock. But the local land service livestock inquiry line is the, the best place to go to uh, if, if, if listeners uh, affected in the area do have any of those uh, concerns around livestock. That number is 1800 814 647, uh, where, uh, where people can discuss that. What we're finding at the moment is just working locally on the ground with those communities uh, ensuring those livestock are uh, safe as the uh, the fire approaches but uh, if people do have particular concern they can call that number. Are there any sort of centres, any of those evacuation centres or nearby or uh, where they can take uh, livestock or to side yards or anything like that if they have to? The movement of livestock and animals would need to be coordinated through that uh, inquiry line that local land services is, uh, is the one I just gave you. The other needs for, uh, I guess, the human needs to discuss, which might include uh, pets and animals, but to certainly register at those eva- evacuation centres. Narrabri would be uh, at the Crossing Theatre in Tiburina Street in Narrabri, Gunnedah, PCY Street in View Street, Gunnedah, and at Coonabarabran uh, at the Bowling Club in Edward Street in Coonabarabran, where people can obtain further information um, as the, uh, the afternoon progresses if they do need to register uh, in their, those evacuation centres. And that uh, advice line, that uh, um, 1800 814 647, uh, we'll, we'll give, it, uh, give it out later on in the program as well. Um, uh, a, a lot of smoke around the area of smoke uh, being seen in uh, Tamworth and uh, uh, even down as far as Scone, I gather, as well, and uh, sort of uh, embers blowing a long way away ahead of the main fire front as well so um, obviously concerning situation for for many people in many of those towns in the region uh, fires in the pillager tend to be quite large and this one's uh, no different so uh, people are, are seeing smoke from a long way away where people from canamble to the west tamworth in the east uh, down as far as dubbo and as you said scone are, are all able to uh, visualize this fire in some way shape or form with that comes added uh ash drop and ember attack uh, ash carried uh, many many kilometers from the fire which uh, can be um, can be quite uh, scary for people if they haven't seen that before what we would ask is that if uh, you are seeing embers drop in your particular area and uh, you do see any unattended fires uh, please call triple zero spot fires can start quite a number of kilometers ahead of the fire front we do expect uh, a number of hours heading into the afternoon of challenging conditions uh, heading into the evening so uh, yeah but certainly very visual aspect uh, in and around the northwest uh, for the last couple of days and uh, for the next couple as well. You're talking about the weather forecast the Bureau of Meteorology what are they saying is there is there that change on the way and possibly thunderstorm maybe some rain activity later? We do have a rain uh, a thunderstorm band moving across the state at the moment we expect um, a, a shift in conditions from today onwards so the fire behavioural index to uh, have a reduction in that for the rest of the week more favourable conditions for for firefighting Uh, hopefully with that rain as well uh, we will see uh, those conditions ease for us but with 111 
thousand hectares on the ground and growing at the moment, we will have uh, much work to complete to make sure we uh, we, we get around this fire and uh, make sure we can uh, completely put it out over the coming weeks. But uh, we, we certainly are heading into more favourable conditions over the uh, the coming week, and uh, we'll be needing to uh, capitalise on that uh, with those conditions before it, uh, the weather turns around and heats up again. Okay, and of course, um, uh, reminding everyone to stay listening to uh, the emergency broadcaster, uh, the ABC, your local ABC, for the latest information on the fires uh, as it comes to hand. Uh, but uh, Heath, uh, we'll leave it there. I know you're busy. Thanks for your time on the program today. Thanks very much, Michael. Heath Stimson, who's the Rural Fire Service Chief Superintendent based at the moment in Narrabri. It's uh, 13 minutes past 12. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Well, artificial intelligence is helping to detect and prevent bushfires from taking hold. Chief Commercial Officer and co-founder of Pano AI, Arvind Satyam, says his company is rolling out in Australia and overseas in the United States and California and can detect and pinpoint new ignitions and alert fire professionals within minutes so they can stop fires in their tracks. Now, the latest uh, forecast from the bomb for the long-term summer forecast is not good. Higher chance of warmer than usual uh, days and nights and also uh, risk of heat waves as well. Uh, Panel AI currently has 24 units in operation across Australia, five of those in New South Wales, and they're looking to install an additional 50 cameras across Australia in the new year to help prevent bushfires similar to what we saw in 2019-2020. Yeah, and Michael, at the end of the day, every one of these fires, you, you talk about megafires, they still start small. The reason why a lot of these are spreading so quickly is you know, we've got a lot more fuel on the ground with drier conditions. Uh, then the next thing is you, you add winds and then suddenly you just lose control of these. And so for what we looked at is how do we get early visibility into when a fire starts, be able to pinpoint the location of it, which is critically important because a, a lot of the time what happens is you get a call in, you get a call by a bystander on Triple O saying, I see smoke in a given area. And the fire agencies still need to go out engines, send out engines or a plane to go confirm it, figure out the size of the incident, and then figure out how to right-size that response. And so what we looked at is how do we bring the technology that's available, that's being applied to other fields, right? AI, we're we're looking at self-driving cars with AI. How do we bring that actionable intelligence to detect an incident, to detect a smoke start, be able to triangulate the location of it, and provide ultra-high-resolution zoom so that emergency responders can say, that's a high-rate-of-spread incident. I need to send multiple engines. I need to send aerial attack to fundamentally go change the response to those incidents. So we could see, you know, like a much quicker response pinpointed on the map. How do you do it? Do you do it with satellites or do you use drones? Or, you know, how do you actually pinpoint like that or see it? The, the way we do it is by using a combination of multiple signals. At the heart of it is uh, being able to deploy ultra-high-resolution cameras. We deploy these on high vantage points, and it turns out that cell towers, uh, you know, you think about the traditional firewatch towers, they're, they've been designed for a very similar purpose, which is beyond high local maximums, high vantage points that are looking on high-fire risk areas. 
The difference is now you've got uh, cameras with ultra-high resolution imagery that can look 10, 20, 30 kilometers out and then use artificial intelligence to detect smoke. And at a very simple level, what we're training the algorithm during the day to do is continuously scan that environment. So we do a full 360. These cameras are rotating. They do a full minute rotation. They do a full 360 each minute. And then we get AI to detect smoke. So it's continuously looking at this landscape saying, is that smoke or not smoke? Uh, and then the next thing that we do is we use humans to validate whether that's smoke or, you know, it could be chimney smoke. It could be a farmer going down a hill where you've got dust clouds. And then the other element that we do is we pull in satellites. So it turns out that during the day, cameras, you need that ultra high resolution imagery because you've got the ability to monitor it. Satellites provide a really important signal as well, but there is latency, especially with geostationary satellites. You're getting that imagery every five minutes. Uh, and then the third thing that we do is we have an intelligence center that's also learning about the nature of these incidents. So we pull in data like known fires. Our objective, as soon as we pick up a smoke start, we quickly want to understand, is that a control burn? Is that a bushfire that's going to be a high rate of spread incident? And then we want to give that as an incident link to responders. And that could be many different stakeholders. So we work with fire agencies, we work with forestry companies, we work with LGAs, and, and the goal is to provide all that intel very quickly. So why is it that, uh, you know, the RFS or the SES or the, you know, the uh, or the government doesn't have this, uh, this technology them to use themselves? Why do they, why does it have to come from your company? Uh, so we, we as a company have been design where we started this company three and a half years ago. Michael, I grew up in Sydney as a kid and I, I moved to uh, San Francisco and Silicon Valley almost uh, 17 years ago. And our backgrounds have been in building out Internet of Things, artificial intelligence solutions and other domains. So we created the company with this purpose of how do we stop the spread of high rate of spread bushfires, wildfires in North America. And for us, we, we brought together a team that has a lot of experience building out this type of capability. If you look at the AI, we've trained the AI with 300 million images. Uh, we're now deployed in eight states in the U.S. So the AI is learning from mountainous areas, uh, areas that are really dry. We're also now in five states in Australia. So if you look at one agency, they're going to look at their environment, whereas what we're doing is training this across many different areas so the solution continues to get better as it's learning from different regions and it's learning from different environmental conditions and that's so, what we do as a company so it's it's uh, transferable anywhere so you could use it in um, in california and you could use it in australia you could use it in greece you could use it in spain it doesn't matter it, it's it's because you've got that sort of you've worked on that ip for so long you can it's transferable absolutely and, you know, it turns out smoke at the end of the day, smoke is pretty similar. You're going to get wispy incidents. You're going to see darker plumes of smoke. We've been training the AI to really understand that. And then at nighttime, we train the AI to understand heat signatures. Um, and the next thing that we've got to do is really learn about the geographical environment. And we've seen some really amusing cases. I, I remember in the first year we deployed 
on the west coast of the U.S., which you know has has a lot of similarities to say the southeastern coast of Australia. Then we started deploying in areas like uh, Colorado and Montana, and we got to November, and then they started having snow machines. And then the AI was like, could that be smoke? So the important thing there is to really understand the geography, the environment, and so we've been training that, and now that we're three years in, in many different locations, it's absolutely transferable. So has it been taken up by the Australian authorities? Uh, you know, are they your clients now? They are. So we are in five states in Australia. It makes me really proud as an Aussie that um, we've, we've been seeing significant uptake. A year ago, we launched and we created a subsidiary in Australia. So our second biggest operation outside of the U.S. is in Australia. Uh, we started off deploying in Noosa. Uh, we're also in the Riverina region. We've deployed in Tumut and, and that region. We're working closely with forestry companies like Southern Cross and Forest Corp New South Wales. South Australia and Victoria is part of the Green Triangle deployment and then we recently signed up in Tassie. And I guess too the thing is are you feeling more confident if we did have a fire like those uh, fires that started with lightning strikes in 2019 in uh, very remote parts of national parks that you would be able to get on top of it a lot quicker now? We have much higher confidence. I mean at the end of the day detecting... It's not 100% but you're getting there. It's not a, yeah, it's, it's not 100%. I'll tell you, you know, when you've got um, say 6.30 in the morning and you know when the fires were raging in 2019, there's a lot of smoke in the air. So being able to detect smoke when there's smoke in the air, uh, there's dense cloud cover, all of it. These are, these are tricky challenges, but the more we train the system, uh, the more we understand the environment. And you know, the other thing is we just don't want to provide a tool. We really want to understand context. So we have a team on the ground that works actively with the fire agencies. So they're looking at weather warnings. They're understanding fuel conditions. So you know when things are going to be a lot more susceptible. And you hit the nail on the head, that dry lightning in remote areas, these are the things which are not going to get called in. And that's a lot of what happened in Canada this year. They had the hottest April on record. And then a lot of these fires started with dry lightning uh, and they, they just couldn't even get to them. Arvind Satyam is the co-founder and chief commercial officer of Pano AI and uh, they're hoping to uh, roll out more of that uh, uh, artificial intelligence around Australia to uh, keep an eye and maybe track bushfires uh, be, 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 and alert officials uh, much more quickly than they have been able to in the past. It's 23 minutes past 12. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Parts of the East Coast have already recorded their warmest start to summer on record in many uh, regions, but it's not just people that struggle in the heat waves. Farmers are adopting a range of tools to keep their livestock cool. Brett Jessup farms uh, near Cabago. He's got 300 cows. He milks 300 cows. And he told Josh Becker that he's installed a $30,000 shade structure over his feed pad. It's not only good for cow comfort, but also helping to reduce the disease risk. Probably just all the basic things that everyone's doing is sprinklers in your yards. Um, you, know, you use your daytime packs with the ones that got more trees in them. I've put the shade sails up on the feed pad. That's uh, 
just when it's hot and that, but just to keep the cows on the feed pad eating straight after they get milked instead of going out and sitting under trees in the in the bog and get mastitis. Yeah, tell us about this shade structure you've set up over this feed pad. Um, yeah, how did you how did you go about designing it and and building it yourself? I uh, just drew up a couple of sketches and asked a builder mate what size of steel to use and how how deep in the ground they need to be, just so they won't blow down the hill. And I uh, just contacted a fella in Toowoomba that sold shade sails. Uh, I think they're pretty big out there for beef feed lots but I haven't seen anyone with them down here. And what sort of a difference has it made to I guess on the production side for, for your cows having a having shade over their feedlot? Uh, I haven't noticed too much from that but you just notice them come from the dairy straight onto the pad to eat whereas they were having a drink and just sitting down in the mud. And so um that can lead to mastitis so I guess have you had less cases of mastitis since um, bringing the shade in and encouraging the cattle into the feed pad? Yeah I think so I tr- you, know, you try and do all the little things you can do to reduce uh, risk of it prevent it um, as far as the production probably not so much I guess but definitely um, it's better for cow comfort and on the cow comfort side of things, do you think, um, you know, that's more front of mind these days or something that farmers are considering when they're thinking about um, going through, you know, the peak and the height of summer? Uh, definitely, I think, yeah, you're looking at all areas, you know, to improve and, uh, you know, get little gains here and there and to uh, maximise your profitability but you mentioned they're having sprinklers in cattle yards uh have you implemented that on the farm has that made any difference uh yeah I'll definitely if you uh, you jump in the pool and you cool when you get out don't you <laughs> so i'd say it's got some effect what about seasonal conditions because it's been a pretty mild start to summer we've had a couple of pretty warm days and quite humid how does it affect the the cows and and, and affect production um, over those hot months? Uh, it's more the humidity um, than the heat. I think like they they prefer a thirty five degree day with you know dry than um, a twenty seven degrees and humidity. Uh, they're just yeah they're straight into the teams like as soon as you get a bit of humidity. So you can't do much about that though. That's just you know, probably the area we live in, close to the coast. It's going to be more humid. Mm. Mm. We thought it was going to be a, a drier sort of summer, but at the moment it doesn't appear to be. Yeah, I was planning for a hot, dry summer and autumn. You know, the long range was saying seven months. Uh, you know, the Enino had set in. But, uh, yeah, it's amazing how all of a sudden it had changed. Dairy farmer Brett Jessup ending that report from Josh Becker. Now, as farmers adapt new tools to keep animals cool in a warming climate, researchers are busy working in the background too. University of Queensland animal science lecturer Angela Lee spends much of her time researching heat stress in livestock. She told Lara Webster there's still more work to do in temperate environments. So a lot of the work that we've done to date has really focused on um, those tropical and subtropical climates. So I'm based in Queensland. Um, I think we need to extend that work that we have been doing to more temperate environments like the New England where you're based. 
um, I think that would make some really nice steps forward um, in terms of what's coming in the future climate scenario. How important do you think it is to, to make sure we're looking at not just one location or one area, we, we look right across uh, the nation, I suppose? Look, that's really important and this is something that we've talked about as a research community for a really long time. Um, you know, Australia is very broad and diverse in not only its climatic um, variables and our, our climate, so various regions across the country, but we also transport livestock a long way. So we see southern cattle coming up to Queensland, we see northern cattle going south, and that a lifetime history that those animals are exposed to really underpins how they cope with those environmental conditions or the climatic conditions. So this is really important, particularly for those um, southern animals that come into a northern environment, particularly through this time of the year. So then, Angela, if we look at some of the research that's going on, what is some exciting research in the cattle and sheep space at the moment and, and even research you might be a part of? Yeah, so there's a lot of really cool research happening at the moment around shade structures. That's been something that's been happening for a really long time. Um, but the new work that's really happening in those shade structures is around shelter designs and what that looks like, particularly in the intensive industries. Um, so we are involved in research in that space. Um, there's a lot of nutritional supplementation work that goes on, um, again, particularly in those intensive industries. Um, but taking a step back and having a think about the extensive industries, there's a lot of work going on in understanding the impact of um, heat stress in particular on reproductive efficiencies um, in both sheep and cattle. Um, so there's a lot of really exciting developments coming in the pipeline. Can you give us uh, some examples? I mean, as you mentioned there, shade, something we know has been worked on for a long time. If we look at that reproduction space, can you give us some examples of some of the research you're seeing in that space, whether it's in the pipeline or, or being worked on at the moment? Yeah, so one big thing that we're working on at the moment is understanding how heat stress is impacting bull fertility. Um, and I am aware of other research groups in the country that are doing similar sort of work in the sheep space as well. So we know that when bulls get very hot, um, that their, their semen quality declines. And so we want to now understand how that decline in semen quality is translating into reduced calf born in the herd in a herd scale. So how far along are you in that research? Um, we are just starting. Um, <laughs> this is something that is very fresh. Um, we're hoping to hit the ground running in early 2024. What sort of difference when you look uh, at the bulls and the facility fertility side of things, what kind of difference can work in that reproductive space make when it comes to, to animals coping with, with heat stress? Look, uh, we don't really know. So one of the big questions we have is we don't actually know how much of a contributing factor heat stress is having in reproductive inefficiencies at a herd scale. Um, if we can understand it better, then we can help mitigate it. And then, you know, we might be looking at 20, 30, 40, maybe 50% improvements in conception rates at a herd scale. Do you think attitudes or from farmers have changed over the over the years in in this space and and dealing with heat stress in their stock yeah i really do to be honest 
Um, I think that even the conversations that I've been having with producers in the last five years have really changed in that dynamic. Um, so producers may not necessarily want to talk about climate change per se, but they do want to talk about climate variability and how that climate variability is influencing their their books and, and their populations. So I think that it has become a much more dynamic conversation. Talking there is University of Queensland animal science lecturer Angela Lee. She was uh, speaking to Lara Webster about heat stress and uh, animal and uh, and livestock research in that area. It's uh, coming up to 27 minutes to one. Shortly we'll have the latest on the weather details that change on the way and when it might uh, uh, be able to uh, bring some relief uh, to those firefighters in the Ducks Creek Pilliga fire. We'll uh, hear about that shortly. But before we do that, let's get some uh, news headlines now from Adam Story. Good afternoon. Oh, it's just lovely out there today, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> cloud, smoke, 100% cloud, humidity. Cloud, smoke, humidity, yeah, <laughs> 35, 30, yeah. 36, 37, oh. something like that. Yeah, I, I think it's worse than the Pilliga at the moment. Yeah, too, yeah. yeah. so uh, that was uh, obviously that's uh, one of the main stories we're going to be following today with almost uh, uh, 110,000 hectares and it creating its own weather system, which looked as uh, scary as hell. Mm. Uh, You've seen the video and the ember, the ember um, fires the as ember well attacks, overnight, yeah. ember attacks, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in other news, uh, if you're a Westpac customer, you might be having trouble getting some money out. Uh, the company says it's aware of intermittent issues with online mobile and telephone banking and the teams are working to fix the issue. Uh, apparently, as of 11 o'clock this morning, there have been more than 2,500 reports of problems. So it's not well, everywhere, but it is uh, it is widespread. Oh, that's the, right. It's only 2,500. It's only 2,500. That's all right. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Only three days till Christmas. <laughs> uh, convicted terrorist uh, Abdel Nasser Banbrika uh, will be released into the community today after spending new, uh, nearly two decades in prison. A uh, Victorian uh, Supreme Court judge has granted release on extended supervision orders for 12 months and he'll be restricted to numerous restrictions. He was due to be released from custody in 2020 uh, and his extension, uh, his detention was extended for three years uh, but the federal government lost a bid to cancel his citizenship and obviously this is the result of that high court ruling on indefinite detention. Uh, the federal government is uh, expecting a significant repair bill as assessments begin uh, following the flooding across far north Queensland. Uh, it's beginning to ease in parts of the state and work to assess the scale of the damage is expected to start in the coming days. Now, the ABC understands that the Northern Territory Chief Minister, Natasha Files, is going to resign this afternoon. Mm. Uh, Labor sources have confirmed she'll hold a press conference to announce her resignation. Uh, apparently, pressure's been mounting over her ownership of undisclosed shares in a mining company called South 32, uh, which operates a, a manganese mine on uh, Groot Island. And now earlier uh, this year, when she was the health minister, uh, she said the government wouldn't investigate the health effects of air pollution at the mine, saying there were already mon adequate monitoring in place. So there have been claims of conflict of interest ever since mm. then. Mm. And there's uh, a new beach opened, and it's in Penrith. Oh, right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yes. We, yes. Uh, I heard about this. It's yeah. open 7am to 7pm. Uh, apparently all 700 car spots have been booked, so it is like a real beach. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just like Bondi. Yeah, yeah. Impossible to get to. <laughs> Take three hours to get out of the car park. <laughs> You'd feel like they've a swimmer been, for all they, of So that. they've been booked, as in well, seven, I'd you must need, need tickets to go to this oh. thing. and oh. Yeah, you, if you want to park there. 
<laughs> I don't think it's that's, on a train line. That's beautifully <laughs> organised. Yeah. yeah. Well, is it on a is it I on a train know. line? Yeah. I have no mm. idea. No. <laughs> I'll go and have a look. Or, or you could go and live in regional New South Wales. Plenty of beaches you can go well, there. Yeah. Mm. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right. Uh, yes, yes. I was just thinking when you were talking about uh, the chief minister resigning, how many how many premiers or chief ministers? I was going to say she was just about all resigned. She's only been in the job. But they've just all. Well, we've had uh, yeah. WA and Mark yeah. McGowan. We've had. Oh, you're Anna, talking in general. Yeah, yeah. in general. Mm. Well, well, there's been about five or six. Yeah. The, in yeah. the last six months, I mean, it's yeah. been well, incredible Chris turnover. Is, uh, sounding like the. <laughs> and like the old and Peter Malinowskis yeah. in South Australia. That's right. That's right. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, there you go. You can think oh, about they're all getting younger those days. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Being exactly. governed by twenty-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they're quite twenty. No. <laughs> Where the ambition starts. No, that's, that's right. That, well, that's the newsroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Adam. Thanks for that. It's uh, Adam will be back at one o'clock. It's uh, 23 minutes uh, to one here on the Country Hour. Well, let's find out what's happening with the uh, weather details and Juan Parks at the Bureau. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mike. So we were talking about this change coming through. Has it started? Have we seen evidence of it in the state yet? Uh, yes, this change is certainly moving across the west, and we, with that, we are seeing some temperature contrast in the, in the far southwestern part of the state. Where I mean, in the uh, northern and eastern part, we are still seeing the temperatures rising to mid to high 30s. Uh, well, uh, but on the other hand, some parts in the northern inland and the eastern parts are still on the thick cloud cover, so temperature is not rising as rapidly as other parts. But on the other hand, it's further southwest, you know, behind the cooler southerly changes, the temperatures have been only reaching about low to mid 20s. So that you can see that there's a, a quite a big temperature contrast, and we expected this cooler changes to move across much of the west and the south through the day, and heading towards northeast over the uh, during the midweek period, uh, and possibly reaching the uh, Pilega uh, fireground uh, around sometime t- later tomorrow. But on the other hand, although uh, this southerly will be changing, will be crawling by the time it reaches the northeast quarter of the state, uh, we are certainly seeing the changed weather conditions with uh, increasing moisture and uh, wet uh, development of uh, wet conditions. And uh, so with, with that, we expect more widespread showers or thunderstorms. That, and uh, this is expected thunderstorms today and may deliver some useful rain um, to the firefighting uh, effort. Um, and if not, uh, then tomorrow we expect even more rainfall with a widespread 20 to 30 millimeters in the area. And that uh, that figure could be potentially more depending on uh, the training of showers or thunderstorms, and so with that there is also possibility of getting you know something like a 50 plus millimeters locally, and not widespread figure, but locally in depending on thunderstorms, uh, and uh, well any rainfall uh, you know exceeding five millimeters is always useful for firefighting effort, and also with uh, and also lots of cloud cover and cooler temperatures that will certainly deplete the 
fire danger conditions. But on the other hand, uh, this Pilnaga fire has been, uh, is, uh, has been creating lots of uh, smoke plumes, and in the area we may still see the temperatures rising up to uh, mid-30s ranges, and uh, also uh, because, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, the f- big fires create its own weather, so, and uh, last night we saw big pyro CB developing in the area, and so that, that risk is still there to, uh, today, although uh, such a risk probably will be completely gone by tomorrow. Okay, so yeah, we're, so we're, we're seeing, we'll see some bit of a change or reduction in temperature maybe later on today, maybe a little bit of rain, you're saying, later on today in that sort of fire area, but uh, really uh, uh, the uh, the big falls of rain you're expecting of up to sort of 50 millimetres, we're talking about uh, tomorrow and later on in the week. That, that's right, yes, uh, yes, tomorrow into Thursday, and so that's the main period when uh, this northwestern slopes and plain will see uh, much of the rainfall. Uh, we did a peak of rainfall probably tomorrow, uh, and then uh, the focus areas gradually shifting to the far northeast by Friday. So uh, with that, you know, maybe widespread useful, you know, 20 to 30 millimeters of rain expected in the area, that will certainly help. And as I said, that figure could be locally more. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, uh, would certainly help. And uh, I'm seeing some of the forecasts are more. I mean, some of the uh, some areas are talking about uh, possibly 100 millimetres, uh, not too far away from the the fire ground. But at the moment, uh, uh, it uh, doesn't look like uh, like that much there. But any 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 of those uh, temperature reductions or any of those uh, any of that rainfall will, will certainly help. What about what about the rest of the state? What are we what are we looking at? Are there is it are we going to see showers and rain in the rest of the state when the when the the, uh, when the uh, change moves through? Yeah, that, that same uh, rain-bearing system, or widespread showers, and you know, you can call it whatever, yeah. will be affecting much of uh, the east and the northern and central inland t- today uh, with the risk of severe thunderstorms that may bring uh, damaging winds uh, exceeding gusts 90k per hour and uh, risk of hail as well as flash flooding over much of the eastern and central inland and northern inland today. And then um, then this moderate, widespread moderate rainfall will be uh, uh, affecting much of the east and the northern and central in, inland uh, tomorrow and uh, into Thursday. But Thursday into Friday, we expect the focus areas of rainfall will be confined to the northeastern district, like northern, uh, northern ranges and mid-north coast and northern rivers. Okay, Juan, thanks for that. Yeah, my pleasure. It's 17 minutes to one. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Well, 2023 has been a year of highs and lows. For much of the state, the early signs of drought didn't take long to creep in, and now almost two-thirds of the state's in drought, some parts more intense than others, as we've been hearing. Though uh, through these tough times, we've seen support come from near and far, and uh, including from Aussie hay runners. They've notched up 15 hay runs in New South Wales for this year, but there are already plans to get back on the road in January. Aussie Hay Runners founder Linda Widup told Amelia Bernasconi there's just one more last minute trek planned to Cabago tomorrow to cap off 2023. We had it planned for earlier this year, but they got smashed with a big flood, so all the roads were blocked and that. So we decided um, the boys all said, well, look, we won't finish up, we'll go and do it this week. So they're off to Cabago up in the Bega Valley tomorrow. Oh my goodness, I thought Palomalawar was your last run. <laughs> 
Well, so did I, but this is uh, this opportunity arose and, you know, there's people up there that need the help, so the, the boys are on their way tomorrow. Oh, you've got such a wonderful team there, Linda. Tell me about, yeah, that team and I suppose 2023 as it draws to a close. Well, 2023 has been a huge year. Um, the boys have been absolute pillars of the community. They've um, helped us complete 15 runs all over New South Wales this year. We've had 520 trucks running up and down the, the highway. In that, we travelled 1.23 million kilometres. We used 2.5 million litres of diesel. We've carted 20,000 bales of hay. The cost of the bales was $1.9 million and we've assisted 1,499 farmers. So it's been a very big year. That is absolutely huge. Is it bittersweet though, Linda, when you know that, and, and you are so appreciated in what you do, but you know that you're coming during really tough times for people? You know, it's, it is difficult. It's, um, you know, a few runs, you see what's going on, but until you're sort of on the ground there and you realise, you know, the, the problems that are there and the way that people are really suffering, that's what drives you to keep going, you know. And then I just have a bit of a chat with the boys and go, listen, let's do another one. So we do. And away we go. And you do have some support from the Rural Assistance Authority. But other than that, it's volunteer-driven, it's donations. How is all that yep. tracking? Because we know that times are really tough, whether you're on the land or, or off it with the cost of living. Well, without the RAA, we wouldn't be doing this. These people are the main focus here because they are the ones that they go send, you know, people out on ground, have a look. They get a declaration going, then that's when we jump in and go, right, we're we're going here, there and everywhere. Donations have been a bit slow this year, but a lot of the guys uh, are farmers and they do their own hay and stuff like that. So they supply us with their, their hay. So... That's what keeps our little circle going, thankfully. We're very lucky there. We've got some really great people that do support us and, and, you know, donate their hay. But it's been quite a funny year because last year a lot of the places in Victoria got flooded as well. So, you know, hay was very expensive and there wasn't a lot of it about. Mm, Exactly. Well, as we look back on 2023 and cross our fingers that 2024 is a bit wetter um, in the right parts, not too much, not too little. Yep, but yep. Um, as you look back on this year, Linda, are there any moments that will stick with you? There's a lot of moments that, you know, there's been mainly, look, to be honest, Amelia, it's more so the phone calls of people distressed. Mm. That's what really, even now as I'm talking to you, I, I get quite emotional about it because... There's only so much we can do to help people. And the worst thing is you, you can only offer a bit of support over the phone, but we, you know, we do our best to, to get out there. All my guys, you know, they're, they're very supportive of farmers and, you know, they love having a bit of a chin wag and, they, you know, just to help ease that, that stress and the pain of it all. We know how important that sort of like social connections can be when there's so much stress at home. Um, with feeding and various other things, financial um, stresses as well. So to offer those conversations is wonderful. But are you seeing a shift? You've been running Aussie Hay Runners for a few years. Are you seeing a shift in the community that they're willing to say, I'm not doing that well, I do need a bit more help? Are those conversations more natural these days, do you think? Look, the worst ones will always 
never put their hand up. It's always their neighbours or someone like that. Mm. Um, so that's where we, you know, we pop in and help. And you'll get a phone number, you'll get this and that. You, you form a really great relationship with these people and all of a sudden they will ring and go, look, Linda, we haven't had rain. It went around us, this and that. Are you coming back? Yes, we are. We'll, you know, we'll help you out. And that's the way it is a really great relationship that you have with these people. Yeah, and you have a knack as well. I know when you came to the Upper Hunter, you brought the rain with you and you seem to be able to do that from time to time. Do you think we'll uh, <laughs> see more I of that? I say to all the people, I go, the Aussie hay runners are bringing the rain gods with them and nearly every run that we've done, we have. So it's been really, really, really awesome, you know. But it's, I just want to see these people get back on their feet, everything to start going right for them and, you know, keep doing what they do and that's put food on our, our dinner tables and fresh fruit and veggies out there for the kids and, and just to give them a little bit of help as well. Like, fortunately, we were partnered up with RAM, Rural Mental Health People in New South Wales. So they're going to put all my, my drivers through a course just so we can identify if people do need that help and we've got other people to report that to, you know. So yeah, we're wow. sort of moving on a little bit more, not just being hay runners because we are concerned about our farmers and we are concerned about their health. Aussie Hay Runners founder Linda Widdup uh, speaking there to Amelia Bernasconi and already there are eight hay runs planned for January and February across New South Wales. It's uh, nearly 10 minutes to one. Hello, I'm Stephanie Smale. Join me for the world today. The rain is finally easing in far north Queensland, but flooding remains, with evacuations still underway and a long clean-up ahead. The United States asks Israel to change the way it's fighting in Gaza, as the civilian death toll there approaches 20,000. And in a major shift, the Catholic Church will allow unmarried and same-sex couples to be blessed, but with a list of strict conditions. That's coming up on The World Today and on The Country Hour. A lot can change in the wool industry in just four months. In August, when the Australian Wool Production Forecasting Committee met, they predicted a dip, a dip in wool production due to looming drought conditions and depressed livestock prices. Well, now, to round out the year with some cheer, the committee anticipates another 4 million kilograms of wool will be produced from the country's shorn sheep flock. Committee Chair Stephen Hill has more. We landed on 328 million kilos, which is in Greasy, which is up 4 million kilos from the August meeting and actually exactly the same figure, closing figure of last season. We're attributing this mainly to sort of maintaining reasonable season, seasonal conditions. Um, although it's average to dry, the sheep have been doing really well and our fears of you know, a greater impact from El Nino coming through haven't been fully realised yet, um, especially with this um, late spring, early summer rain events of the last three, four, five weeks have really helped kick things along. And have people also been taking the opportunity with the lower prices being paid for sheep, sheep and lambs at the moment to restock and replenish their flocks while prices are lower as well? Yeah, well, it's, there's two points there. People are holding on to stock a bit longer, as you say, because um, it's it's more favourable to hang on to the wool than to take the current lower livestock and meat prices. And yes, some of, especially some of the larger farmers, have taken the opportunity to to buy in some new genetics and good good stock at um, reasonably low levels. And is there any particular state that you've noticed is, 
I guess, holding things up there and adding to that four million kilogram lift in the, the greasy forecast. Is there any particular state that's leading the way there with wool production? Yeah, definitely. Um, New South Wales, which is the, the largest wool producing state in Australia, they've had a good lift of nearly 4%. And the other one that's had a lift is uh, South Australia of 2.6%. All the other states have had small decreases, um, but just the, the weight of the, especially New South Wales, has um, held the, the national number. It's no secret that the wool market hasn't been at its best this year. Do you think that will turn people away from wool production or those figures that you're saying the lift is there, but it's not re- reflecting that people are moving away from wool at all? No, well, I think it's the exact opposite. I mean, wool prices aren't as great as they have been, but um, in my mind, and, and I guess producers, everyone always wants more, it's not too bad. And compared to other um, farm outputs, it's it's okay, especially the um, the livestock and meat prices. So they're choosing to, to hang on, shear, even if they're selling, they're shearing first. And also, um, we, we've touched on how things are tracking over on the eastern states, but how's Western Australia's wool production sitting? Western Australia, they've dropped 6.5%. They're still, they've got a bit of a split view over there. They've been quite pessimistic on the back of some um, policy issues and so forth. But there are some people there as well that um, see the opportunity to buy in new stock at favourable levels and continue with wool production. So it's not quite as bad as it was. And um, the sentiment in general has really changed nationally with this this recent rain. And probably there's there's also been a bounce in both wool and we keep talking about depressed sheep meat prices, but they've come off their lows in the last month or so and they're, they're um, improving. Do you think many people are sitting on bales and waiting for that price to lift or there is plenty coming through the auction room still? No, there's plenty coming through, absolutely. Um, The figures up to the first five months are showing a 9% increase in um, wool offered at auction compared to this time last year and a just over 2% increase in wool tested. The extra wool coming into the auction, I think, is mainly um, from the crossbred end, which potentially has been in store, and they're currently accepting the prices that are being paid, which has been depressed for some years now. Around cash flow, I think, could be one of the reasons. And the early shearing, uh, well, when I say early, compared to the the delays due to weather that we um, had last season, um, everyone seems to be on time, potentially even ahead of time. With people returning to normal shearing patterns, is that also maybe taking a little bit of weight off the average cut per head that is coming through? Or is there any reductions there? Yes, it, it, it does. I think the average cut per head gets affected by lots of things. If people um, are shearing early, definitely, that um, cuts out some length. If they're shearing um, a lot more lambs and so forth, we have to average that all in. Um, so the cut per head drops a little bit, but um, not to forget that it is still um, average to dry conditions, which also affects the, um, the wool production. When the committee did meet this week, what was the overall sentiment did you feel about the outlook for the wool industry? Did it feel like a it's positive coming into a new year? It's definitely reasonably positive coming into the new year. Um, there also seems to be some um, a general feeling that possibly the El Nino won't be as um, bigger impact um, as some people first feared. In saying that, it's a, no one's got a crystal ball. 
But yeah, those prices have lifted off their lows and in general terms, the first part of the, the new year, um, more often than not, um, creates a little bit of a rally in prices as well. So that the fact that the, the season's a bit better and prices are all starting to improve um, has got a little bit of um, spring in people's steps, definitely. Australian War Production Forecasting Committee Chair Stephen Hill speaking to Cara Jeffrey. To markets now, first up, Wodonga cattle. Good afternoon. Wodonga agents' numbers fell by 2,380, with agents only penning 700 cattle. Quality was very mixed and very few processors made it to the market this sale, with the market relying on restockers and dealers. Prices slipped 20 to 50 cents. Most cows were bought by restockers, selling at 50 cents to $1.92. Processors paid for cows, one forty six. To 195, dealers fell 30 to 50 cents. 195 to 260, trade steers out to 222, feeder steers only a few. 217 to 226, trade heifers two dollars to 230, heavy grown steers made to two dollars. Bullocks 198 to 212, falling 46 cents, and restocking steers sold anywhere from 190 to 277. I'm Leanne Ducks for MLA. To Forbes sheep and lambs now. The final sale for 2023 saw agents yard just 6,500 head. Those 3,400 lambs penned with quality being very mixed, both plainer and well-finished lambs on offer. Not all the usual buyers are present and competing in an easier market. Trade weight lambs 20 to 24 kilos sold from 120 to 159. Heavy weights to 26 kilos received from 165 to 172, with extra heavy selling from 188 to 206. Carcass prices average from 570 to 644 cents. Heavy hoggets sold from 63 to $76 a head. There was 3,100 mutton penned and quality continues to be mixed. Merino ewes sold from 36 to 68. Crossbreds receiving from 36 to 56, with Dorper ewes reaching $48 a head. This is me, Crystal Ridley at Forbes for MLA. And to Carcor Cattle now. Numbers were down significantly for the last sale of the year for a yarding of 530. It was still a very good quality yarding with good selection of young cattle, cattle suitable for feeders and processors, as well as suitable numbers of grain steers and heifers for the processors. There are 19 cows yarded, and not all the usual processor and feeder buyers were present. Young cattle to the trade were 15 cents dearer, with prime yearlings selling from 220 to 260. Feeder steers remained firm, while feeder heifers were 9 cents dearer. Feeder steers sold from 250 to 312, while feeder heifers sold from 232 to 269. Young steers to the restockers sold to 246 and heifers sold to 238. Grown steers and heifers were 20 to 30 cents cheaper, with prime grown steers selling from 200 to 230 cents and pen of prime grown heifers sold selling to 210. In line with all other major markets, the few cows yarded were up to 30 cents cheaper, with prime heavyweight cows selling to 180. Bulls were firm selling to 215. This has been Angus Williams for MLA at CTLX. That's the livestock market information. Uh, other market information, the wool market closed the year at 1212 cents a kilogram and auction sales resuming in the week of January the 8th where 50,000 bales are expected to be offered uh, for sale then. And also a reminder too with the emergency warning still for that Ducks Creek Pilliger fire, stay listening to your local ABC for the latest information. It's heading up to news time. Yeah. 